Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here, and this week, we are talking about macro social work. What the heck is it? How do we get into it? What kind of money can we be expecting? And if you're a clinical social worker, is it too late? Can you transfer into macro social work? If you know me and you've been listening to any of our podcast, you probably know the answer to this already. It is never too late. You are never stuck. You have so many marketable skills that we sometimes just need to use different words so that people in corporate or in macro settings can really understand what it is that we do and understand the value that we bring, but it's up to us in how we communicate that with them. You know, start where the client is, right? If they're not fully understanding, we need to use the terminology that they are using to really be able to connect and be able to find that common ground. So this week, we're talking with Marthea Pitts, who is an MSW and queen of macro social work. She's the founder and lead consultant of the MSW Coach, which is a social impact design firm. So she helps corporations and individuals engage in social impact and corporate social responsibility work. That is a lot of big words, but (laughs) no worries. She is going to break this down and tell us exactly what that means and what it looks like for you in case you are open to the possibility of venturing into macro social work in a more corporate setting. So she is someone that you can definitely trust. She's a three-time award-winning workforce development career counselor, macro social worker, and I think it's pretty pretty freaking awesome. She's a current PhD educational leadership candidate at the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University located in Tallahassee, Florida. She has all sorts of experience in for-profit, nonprofit, corporate, governmental, education, K through 12, and higher educational settings. She was actually recently featured on LinkedIn, detailing her journey to becoming a social entrepreneur. Her professional mission is to help individuals like you achieve lifelong self-sufficiency through education and career goal attainment. I don't know about you, but I am ready to hear more. We're going to listen to a short, short uh ad from our sponsor, the Rise Directory. If you are a clinical supervisor or you are looking for a clinical supervisor, definitely check out the Rise Directory. And with that, let's hop into this episode. 
this episode is proudly brought to you by the RISE Directory, a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory. Hi, Marthea. Hello, Catherine. How are you? I'm great. Welcome to the Social Workers Rise podcast. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Good, good. So I'm really excited to talk with you about macro social work because it's so important and I don't think or I I know that we don't talk about it enough. I completely agree. Um, It's an area of social work that many non-social workers have no idea exists. So I'm excited to be here today. Thank you. Yes, of course, you're welcome. And I saw recently that, you know, 80%, over 80% of the new social work grads go into some sort of micro social work position, leaving maybe 20% going into micro, but that also factors into other professions as well. And those people also leaving the profession. So it's really an underrepresented and I think kind of mysterious area to go into. <laughs> That's a great way to explain it. Most definitely. Um, there is data out there that is collected and I believe it's by the CSWE on the workforce outcomes of recent social work graduates. And as you mentioned, of course, macro is the number of graduates that go into that aspect of social work practice is very minimal in comparison to our social workers that do clinical work, which is an even more important area of of focus as well. Yes, yes. And I think that so many programs really only focus on the clinical aspect. I know for me, I had maybe two or three classes that touched on macro, but for the most part, it was all just clinical work. What about you? Actually, my program was, it's my program was more so administrative focus, but my professors talked in great depth about macro focus work um, and the importance of changing systems and uh, addressing systemic issues. So I did get that. And so that was one of the factors that led me to creating the MSW coach, because when I got onto the social work community on the internet and I'm like, wow, people are having a hard time finding macro jobs. And then I, once I started to research it a little bit more and I learned that the information that I received in my social work program is apparently a rarity. I I didn't know that at all. Um, So, yeah, I'm learning that more and more as I interact with social workers from around the world that their exposure to macro social work, even just the basic level understanding of what it is, is sometimes non-existent or very minimal. So 
Right. So what do you tell them when they just don't know what it is? What's your response? I, I, I'm always certain to do it in a way that is understandable by all. So basically what that looks like is that macro work is focused on large scale systemic change and repairing of systems and issues. Where as in micro work, we are normally working one-on-one with our clients and those that we serve. But macro work is concerned with the whole of communities, groups, people, um, and whatever issues that you're most interested in or that they're facing, you are working to repair and fix those systems. Um, And so macro work can look many different ways. Usually those social workers that I come in contact with who are aware of what it is, usually only know though about policy work. Um, So a lot of my time is spent around educating social workers about the many different aspects of what falls under the macro umbrella is like it's like how I like to explain it. Um, macro work can range from being a researcher, doing philanthropy work. We all have our most passionate causes and issues and populations, but those organizations need funding to do that great work. So a macro social worker can engage in philanthropy and fundraising to make certain that they have the funding they need to continue the work. Um, macro work can be political social work. It can be even doing work in the corporate setting. Um, As a corporate social worker, a lot of corporations and and larger organizations are really committed to what non-social workers call social impact work or corporate social responsibility. Those are just code words for macro social work. They just don't call it that. Um, Also, macro social work can be uh, any, I like to teach my coaching clients that macro work can be anything that you are passionate about, but just think about it on a larger scale. So as opposed to just working with your one-on-one client during your normal appointment settings, think about what systems and issues are maybe the underlying, underlying reasons why your clients are there and start to focus on what organizations work to resolve those issues. Um, And I know I may be jumping ahead in our conversation, but for myself, how I got into to get to be calling myself a macro social worker is that my clients, um, when I worked as a workforce development career counselor, I realized that, hey, these issues stem way deeper than just employment. Um, My clients, they need reliable transportation because mass transportation is a major issue in my city. They need affordable housing. They need childcare. They need childcare that they can afford. They need all of the holistic supports that we usually work with, like getting our clients the referrals for, but how can we make a system more barrier free for them where they're not having to necessarily come into the system year after year or generation after generation a lot of the participants in my program they their fam their families before them and the families before them cycled in and out of the program. And so it really made me start looking at the whole, the bigger picture. What is the real issue here? And the real issue is the fact that people aren't making a living wage. 
Um, employment is permanent employment is a major issue where I live as well. There's a lot of seasonal temporary employment. So macro work is looking at what is the need of the people as a whole versus just trying to um, do triage work for your individual one-on-one client. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I like that explanation that you gave. Overall, it seems like the macro work is just looking at the big picture of what's going on. And you know your client on an individual level, they need resources. However, it's the people upstairs or, you know, on the macro level who control the checkbook. They, they designate, you know, how many resources go to what neighborhoods and, being a social worker, you can be involved in those types of decision-making. Is that, is that right? Correct. Yes. Yes. I, I love that. Thank you so much <laughs> for that, that breakdown. Um, what, what and our personality would be a good fit for these types of roles? I would say that if someone is a social worker that is always asking why, (laughs) why is this a problem for the people that we serve? Or why hasn't this issue truly, isn't, why isn't this issue truly being resolved? Or what is the root cause? What is really going on? So those social workers who are always asking the questions about how can we really resolve this issue so our clients are not repeatedly coming in from the same set of services or going to partner agencies for the same types of services, um, those would be good macro social workers. I always say that the best macro social worker is a micro social worker that experienced the paradigm shift where they realize that more work needs to be done versus just, I I like to refer to it as putting a band-aid on an issue that is way deeper um, that needs solving. So to answer your question, Someone who's always asking questions, those who are investigative in nature, who are natural problem solvers, which we all are as social workers, um, but who's really dedicated to challenging the status quo and trying to find real resolutions and solutions to help people achieve self-sufficiency or whatever the area need is for the population that they work with. Oh my gosh, Marthea, that that type of person sounds like someone who rocks the boat, who asks a lot of questions and who is an overall troublemaker for those really structured jobs and positions. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which uh, I can relate to that because I had a job at a nonprofit and I would always ask questions about oh you know what why do we do this what was the reasoning for setting up the process like this because I could see from my training that it it could be done better mm-hmm. and my boss didn't like that <laughs> <laughs> I was only there for about six months it just oh. wasn't a good fit <laughs> oh. yeah and that that is the reality of Um, many organizations, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, but um, 
I don't know if a lot of organizations are really really have the capacity or the ability to really solve. I would like to think that is the reason to really truly solve the issues um, on a systemic level. And so that's why it's important for social macro social workers specifically to really take charge of their careers and align themselves with organizations that are truly committed to um, challenging the status quo and really finding resolutions and doing the actual work to make a change. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you're enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to this ad from our sponsor. Yeah, that's a good point because some organizations are set up to benefit and profit off the problem as opposed to actually trying to solve the problem, which, Mm -hmm. you know, no shade to them. It's fine if you want to offer services to to help people with a problem, you know, cool. Um, However, if you are one for social justice and change, that may not be a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So what type of salary can we expect in these roles? Would it, do you think it'd be much different from what we would get in an individual type of setting or would it be a little bit better? Most definitely it would be very different from direct practice. Um, and I like to give my disclaimer. I am not a clinical social worker. When I talk about direct practice or case management, I'm talking specifically about those social workers who are not on the clinical side of our profession. So um, my only point of comparison is for those salaries. So um, most definitely in macro social work, the salary ranges are completely different um, because, and, and let me give the caveat, is because I teach social workers how to secure macro roles and not so traditional social work, social service settings, mm. um, which is major because honestly, I think that anything with a job title connected to it that has social work in it or social work anywhere in the job description, it's automatically the salary is not going to be, you know, where we think it should be. Um, so I really teach people how to look at those non-traditional positions. And so when sat when we talk about salary, most definitely is greatly dependent upon where you live, um, the cost of living, even though employers now, bec- and I'm assuming it's because of the remote work are looking at different ways to um, assess salary versus just like the cost of living in the immediate city that the company is in because people are now spread out all over the world. But salary can, for like a job in DC, I'll I'll give that as an example. Um, A salary for a macro social worker should start at 100,000 plus. And I teach my clients not to go for anything less than that and to always negotiate because why the cost of living in DC is way higher than it would be in um, rural America, you know, Um, when, so really to identify those salary ranges, one would have to understand what the going rate is in their area. And there's all kind of calculators out there on the internet that helps you calculate that. Um, But again, if you're in a larger city, I would say 
a hundred plus easily, and that's just bare minimum. Um, and then if you are somewhere that is not considered a major city, it should be well above fifty thousand. <laughs> um, fifty thousand is like base minimum. Now, if you are targeting targeting some of these larger corporations, salaries can get even higher than that depending on what types of positions you're going out for. That's it. I'm done. I'm signing up for your <laughs> program. I'm getting myself a corporate job. <laughs> <laughs> I am sold. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. Um, that's really good. And I love because it gives me so much hope that we can, we really can use our skills in new and different ways that make an impact they make a difference and they make us an income yes I love that you have renewed my hope today Marthea good (laughs) (laughs) I love that so okay let's be real though Mm -hmm. what would you say because I know people want to know what would be the best and the worst part about macro social work okay so um I have a podcast of my own and actually that was one of the questions well a similar question from one of the people that listened to my podcast where they wanted to know about is overwhelm um being overworked or burnout a part of macro work because you normally hear about it in direct practice so I've interviewed several macro social workers over the last few months and I've asked them the same question. So I'll address the best part. So the best part, usually the running theme is that macro work is um, fulfilling. They get to make their own schedules. They don't experience overwork um, or being overwhelmed because again, they control their own schedules. They um, have a lot more freedom than compared to when they were in their micro practice days. Um, Salaries are good and just overwhelm. uh, Job satisfaction is very high. And and that's very important because, again, there's a lot of research out there on um, the same studies that were done by CSWE about the workforce outcomes of social work graduates job dissatisfaction among social workers was very high. And I don't want to misquote, but if you do a Google search, you can pull up the study. So with macro social workers, the ones that I've interviewed always consistently say that they are extremely satisfied. And I assume that is because a lot of them are doing work that is aligned with their personal goals, values, Um, in professional missions. When it comes to the worst part, I recently interviewed a a professor who is the director over a college of social work in California, actually. And she said the, and don't quote me on this, but she said that the worst part, and it wasn't even a worst part, is that she does not know how to effectively like say no those boundaries, you know, as social workers, we sometimes struggle with those where she'll take on too many obligations. But again, that's because she's so passionate about the work. That makes sense. Yeah. When I was doing, I, I dabbled a little bit in macro social work. I mean, I still do 
I guess podcasting is macro social mm-hmm. work. <laughs> yes. But um, for an official job title, whatever. Anyways, I had this role um, doing legislative work. And also I was a community service coordinator, which was like mezzo macro. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most frustrating part was that change was slow. Mm-hmm. So working with one person, it's kind of like driving a speedboat. You can see changes very quickly, but when you're driving um, a cruise ship, you know, you're going to get farther and you're going to be more comfortable in the long term. but changing directions is going to be a lot slower. Most definitely. So I serve as a policy consultant, one of two policy consultants in my state, for the workforce development program, the same program that I worked on the front lines and direct practice in, um, now I serve as a policy consultant, and you are 100% correct. We talk about policy, uh, you know, usually people who are in social workers who are interested in macro work talk about wanting to do policy, but policy development, policy doing policy proposals, reviewing policies, all of the things that come along with policy work is very um, labor intensive. And the time, the the cycles, the, the, the phases it has to go through is, is very tedious. Um, it's not like you come in with an idea, hey, this is what I want to do. And it's, it's in an, and it's in an acted tomorrow. No, it has to go through many hands. It takes many different forms um, because you have to solicit the input of various stakeholders and political leaders. So um, policy work or anything in that arena, like political social work, yes, it's a it's a lot. Um, and time, time is of essence. But who better than social workers to do that work? But especially if we know what is on the other side. That's why I really believe that micro social workers really could be great macro social workers because we advocate all day, every day. And that's essentially what you're doing on the macro level. You're advocating for the issues and the populations that you are most passionate about. Right. Do you have... I'd love to hear your tips on how micro social workers can use their experiences and their stories, even to do um, short term random, you know, advocacy within their own city or state. Mm, Okay, so. I'm all about teaching um, my coaching clients about developing their own professional development plans, right? So we should not just be relying on our employer's professional development plan. Career tip for everyone that's listening. You should have your own career development plan. And what that will look like is areas or employment gaps. That's what we call it in um, workforce development, those gaps that you need to actively fill. So let's say you need some leadership experience. Um, a, A technique that I give my clients is that you can join an area advisory board or committee. Every city and county has advisory boards and um, committees. It can be for affordable housing. It can be for issues that affect girls and women in your area. You can join those boards as just a 
either a, a citizen of the, your area or as an advocate for that population. So I currently serve as a co-chair on the Avoid Affordable Housing Committee in my county. It's called AHAC. Why did I join that committee? Because I worked for a few years in the domestic violence setting, working specifically with transitional housing survivors. And so what I saw quickly in my one-on-one -on -one experience with them is that, and I knew this personally as well because housing is an issue in our area, but they had extreme difficulties securing affordable housing for them and their children upon exit of our program. So that sparked an interest in me to want to see how can I help resolve this issue so the, the survivors to come that are exiting from this program or just the regular citizen in my area can have better assistance with the, uh, securing affordable housing. So I submitted my, actually a friend of mine told me about the, the advisory committee. That's why it's important to network. Um, so a friend of mine told me about the committee because she did work on a grassroots level. I applied the next year. I was voted in by the commissioners and I now serve as the vice chair. So I took my frontline experience and I'm now using it in a leadership community development type role, but I'm also strengthening my, my skill set, right? So I'm strengthening my skill set, my resume as a macro social worker. So it's very important to know what your end goal is and start developing opportunities, professional development opportunities for you to build those needed skill sets to address the gaps that you have. Mm, you got my brain thinking about so many different <laughs> areas and ways. That's, that's awesome. The other thought that I had too, if you're a clinical social worker and, and maybe you just want to kind of dabble in the advocacy and policy area, you could, you could go and visit your local uh, government officials, um, all sorts of committees and meetings happen all the time. And bring your personal and your professional stories. You can share stories of your work on the front line with the actual policy and lawmakers so that you can bring life to the policy. You can share how this policy is actually playing out, what the problem is, and what the solutions are. We need solutions too. Mm -hmm. And if there's a potential policy that's going to be put into place, then speak up on that. And how is that going to actually play out in, you know, in the real world <laughs> with yeah. clients? Um, so recently I was, I'm here in California and I attended the, the BBS meeting, our, our board for that oversees the social work licensees. And they were talking about waiving or allowing virtual supervision, but making the first visit a mandatory in-person visit. And I have a huge problem with that, and as did a lot of other people on the call. And it was with by us sharing our stories about how that first mandatory visit is still going to significantly limit the ability of people to start supervision. It's going to be another barrier um, to entry for this. So... Overall, they ended up passing it without that initial visit, but it was because of the advocacy and the stories of the people on the phone call. 
That's a great example. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways that we can share the stories that are really powerful. And the, the lawmakers don't know this. They That's not mm-hmm. their expertise. Exactly. And that's our role um, as social workers to advocate and be the voices for those who are not there to still tell their own stories. It would be great if organizations and um, political uh stakeholders would center the voices of those experiencing the actual issues. But as we know, that does not always occur. So we need also the people who work with these individuals on a day in, day out basis, who know the issues intimately to speak up on their behalf. Look at you, Catherine, doing macro work. I love it. I'm trying to contain myself over here. <laughs> Don't contain yourself, bro. Let it go. <laughs> yes. No, I've always actually been a, a macro social worker from the beginning. And I always wanted to do macro social work. But my the universe just led me into licensure, which which is, mm-hmm. is great. I, I love the path that I ended up taking. Mm-hmm. And, and licensure... I mean, I feel like people are kind of conflicted because it's, I mean, it's a lot of hoops to jump through a long time to get licensed, but I'm personally glad I did it because now I could work as a director or a supervisor of other Mm -hmm. social workers and be able to provide that clinical supervision. So I liked that it would enable me and allow more opportunities for leadership roles and position and, you know, increase your credibility, to be honest, as as a social worker in our field. Most definitely. And and this opens up a much larger conversation that I've been having a lot with those macro social workers that I've been interviewing is that they ideally, well, more realistically, I guess, flow between all three levels of social work. Mm-hmm. Um, they do micro work, they do meso work, they do macro work. So they didn't necessarily all strictly identify as a macro social worker um, like I may, um, but they made very clear that they are interested in all levels. And that's very important because a large percentage of the social workers who I work with do have very extensive clinical backgrounds. And those transferable skills that you clinical social workers have is what I like to call gold in the macro side of social work. Um, And it's all about how you sell and position yourself. So every social worker does macro work um, they usually don't identify it as such, but we, you, we all do. Mm-hmm. I was surprised. Even my boss that I had for four years, she definitely did macro social work because she's looking at the the finances of the company, how like the relationships and the community partners. She's looking at the politics that are coming down the pipeline. But she was licensed, and it wasn't until I actually said you know, you're actually a macro social worker. She said, really? I guess, I guess you're right. I guess I never thought about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually um, spoke with a social worker who 
I like to say has been in the game, has been in social work for some years now. And she didn't necessarily identify herself as a macro social worker, but she does macro work most definitely. She's actually the director of an organization, well, a department within a larger organization where they do, they help cities and counties around the nation bring workforce development services programs and do like political policy work for youth and young adults. And I was like, oh, you're like a unicorn. But she didn't identify herself as a macro social worker. I honestly don't even think she um, was familiar with the title. Um, And I can say the same thing for me when I got onto the internet. I was like, why is everyone calling it macro social worker, a macro social worker? And that's when I started to ask more questions. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they're talking about the type of work that we learned about in school. So every social worker identifies um, differently, (laughs) but we all are committed to the same thing. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Did you always know that you wanted to be a macro social worker? I knew um, after working on the front lines in case management. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, it, it wasn't, of, it took many different forms. So um, I was working in my case management job with my 120 plus caseloads, asking oh all of these. Yes. Yes, Catherine. I'm sorry, wait, wait. <laughs> you said how many? 120 plus. At times it would get to 22, 25. So I, I cut off at 120. Oh no, yes. Marthea, I could mm-hmm. not, I cannot function <laughs> above like 40. Yeah. So that's like where all of my questions started to be like, okay, how can we really solve this issue? And it was actually in one of my, I was finishing nearing completion um, of my MSW degree and I think I was in a practicum course and we had a guest speaker. I actually was familiar with him. I didn't know. I I was familiar with his work before he became a social worker. And he talked in great lengths about how he knew that he was um, prevention focused versus intervention focused. And I was like, what does that mean? So I did a lot of research around it. And and actually he was, he um, does a lot of the, financial management piece for a large social service agency here in our city. Um, So I started researching that and I was like, okay, he is prevention focused versus being intervention focused. And that's when I started seeing that I was focused more on prevention because I knew that intervention it was harder for me to really help my clients when they were all had already been experiencing the issues for like 20 years or 15 years. It was harder. And I was like, how can I really help prevent this from even becoming an issue? Um, so for a while, I just said that I was prevention focused. And then right before I got on the internet and then once I started introducing myself to the social work community community I'm like oh yeah I'm a macro social worker most definitely that's what I do um because at that time I had moved into a director role where I was designing a learning pathway an education program for pregnant and parenting youth and it was a true a two-generational approach So we were essentially teaching the mothers 
how to be their child's first teacher and also giving them the ability to earn their high school diploma. And all of that, my passion for pregnant and parenting youth, because that's the population that's nearest and dearest to my heart, was birthed out of my time on the front line because I worked with pregnant and parenting youth on the front line. And they would always talk about the fact that they wanted their high school diploma versus their GED. And there were no programs that supported their holistic needs. So I moved and I, I strategically found a position that allowed me to create a large scale opportunity for pregnant and parenting youth to get their high school diploma and get credit for the things that they do every day as a parent. Um, and so that program is now offered worldwide. It's not only in one state, it's not just in the United States, it's offered worldwide. So that is when I officially became a macro social worker. Wow, that is something mm -hmm. to be proud of, Marthea. That's amazing. Thank you. Yes, congratulations. And did I see that you're getting your PhD? I am, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. What what made you decide to get your PhD versus your um is it, oh geez, what's the other one? Doctor? DSW. Yeah, DSW. Yes, yeah. Um, because I knew that I wanted to do research. Um and Again, these are all plans that I developed in my cubicle with that caseload that I keep referencing that I wanted to do research and I wanted to um, be able to speak very scientifically to the issue because we can advocate all day, but there are people out there that need data to support our claims. And that's just the hard reality of it. And so that's why I chose a PhD program versus a DSW program. Okay. Yeah. It's so true. Cause even for me, I like to do a lot of research within the social work field. There's just such a lack of research and study. And even though we know things to be true, like I know probably most social workers are burnt out right now. But if I don't have a research study to point to, it's it's just my opinion, mm -hmm. right? No matter how many, I could talk to a thousand social workers and they say, yeah, I'm all burnt out. But unless there's an actual research study done, it, it I mean, it means something, but it's not as strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I learned in that same organization where I served as director that, a large percentage of the work that macro social workers do is just sheer educating non-social workers about what the other side of social work is because people usually only know certain aspects of social work. And I, I won't get into naming them. I like to name them sometimes, but I won't do that. Um, <laughs> so they usually only know that side. And one, a large percentage of macro social work is one educating about the other side of social work and also talking about the the needs of people. Usually non-social workers just know of a, of, of a problem. They don't understand, though, how it's connected to all of these other larger systemic issues. They, mm -hmm. they don't connect the dots. Um, so a lot of the work that we do is educating them about 
how it's all interconnected and how, no, it's not just this one issue. It's a part of a larger set of issues. Um, and honestly, I, I had to give credit to when I was earning my um, associate's degree that I even became interested in the field of social work from a sociology class. Because prior to that, taking that class, I myself did not understand that the issues I was experiencing in my own personal life was connected to a much larger issue. Um, so an example that I like to give is if my client is having an issue maintaining work, um, the issues a large percentage of the time is because they can't afford childcare to get to work on time or they don't have transportation to get there. So what will happen is something's gonna fall to the wayside. If I don't have a ride to get there and I can't pay anyone to watch my child or children, I'm gonna have to stop working. And so a macro social worker's job is to connect those dots because non-social workers, they, they don't have that lens. Um, some of them. Now, there's a lot of work out there being done about social impact, but that's even more reason why I am like on my soapbox trying to get as many social workers into those roles because we are trained um, to do that work. And so sometimes it's a little disheartening to see job postings that are being advertised for people with MBAs and, mm -hmm. and all of the, and I'm not going to name anymore because I like to name stuff. Um, but <laughs> Put them on blast. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, and all of those other things versus a social worker, someone with, the, someone with the MSW degree or a BSW degree. So, yeah. Yep. I agree. I thought it was ironic when I, or I always think it's ironic when I see studies about mental wellness and, you know, burnout prevention, and they're all MDs. I'm mm. like, how much, you know, psychology mm. and of this education are you actually getting as an MD? I don't, I don't know that it's too much, mm. but no mm. shade to MDs. They're great. No, <laughs> we all need each other. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what motivated you to start your coaching business in the first place? Because in that same director role, I was thinking like, okay, Marthea, this, I'm, I've, I'm where I had planned to get. This is what I wanted to do. And I'm like, you can't save the world. You're just one person. So I began to think very long and hard. And this is like over a year span of how can I get more social workers into roles like these where they really can affect change? How can I help more social workers really truly change the world? And so after a year of like, no, no, I don't want to do anything with career coaching, career counseling. No, no, no. Um, and I even hired business coaches and everyone said the same thing. And it wasn't until, and everyone said the same thing that basically when you are starting a business, because I consider myself now to be a social entrepreneur as well, because I'm helping social workers, corporations engage in social impact work as a way to change the world. Um, but I 
clients, my business coaches all said the same thing. Like you want to do something that you're known for. What do people talk to you about? What What is your brand built around? And my brand is built around workforce development. When you hear Marthea Pitts, my name is synonymous with workforce development. I won multiple awards and all of the things um, for my work. But it wasn't until a close friend and colleague of mine was like, Marthea, there's no one better than you. You know the journey personally of how um, to navigate this in the, the career planning process to get into these positions of change and you're an expert at it. So I have I was trying to deny it for like a year until she sat me down and she's also a career counselor herself until she sat me down and had that honest conversation. And so that is where the MSW coach was born. And then once I got on the internet and saw that there was a huge need because at that point, the only point of reference I had was the fact that I was informally mentoring and coaching rather um, social workers in my immediate area so the social workers that worked with me in my organization social workers for my social work students from my university I knew it was a need just from my work with them one-on-one -on -one, but once I got onto the internet and I realized like ah they don't know how to find jobs mm -hmm. and it was just like everything fell into place um, and so that's how the MSW coach was born. It was born out of my drive to really affect change on a large scale. And I wholeheartedly believe that social workers are the answer to the issues of the world. So it's my job now, my professional mission to help foster or support as many social workers as possible to get into those macro roles to truly affect change for the populations they work with. I love that, Marthea. That's amazing. <laughs> That's Thank amazing. You. Where can people find out more information about you and your coaching program? Sure. So I, my website would be a great starting point. Um, my website is my full name, Marthea Pitts. Or if you just put in the MSW coach, and that stands for Master of Social Work, the MSW coach. Dot com. It will take you to my website as well. I'm on LinkedIn as Marthea Pitts, and that's P as in Paul, I, T as in Tom, T as in Tom, S as in Sam. I'm on Instagram as the MSW Career Coach. And I'm on Facebook as the MSW Coach. Um, and I also have a podcast where I release an episode a month um, on called Macro Social Work Your Way. Love it. Thank you so much, Marthea. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Thank you, Catherine, for having me. You're welcome. Oh, and all of the links that Marthea talked about are in the show notes. Definitely tap them, check it out, get in contact with Marthea. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes tap the five stars and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. 
Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.